You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. Because you are more than a... that thing say it real loud God you are more than able come on you are Gracious Father, we thank you for who you are and what you continue to do in our lives. We believe that you are more than able. We believe that you are a God that can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We give this moment to you right now in the name of Jesus and the church says, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome. Wherever you are joining from today online or in the building, from all of our campuses, I'm honored to worship with you today. Today in this series, you asked for it. We're going to be on a contemporary topic. Essentially, this topic is, is we've seen it all throughout our media. It's been politicized. It's brought pain to some people. Today we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about gender and sexuality? What does the Bible say? If this is your first weekend with us, welcome. Uh, I want to tell you that your friend, whoever invited you, didn't invite you because they felt like you need to hear this message. We didn't even, you know, broadcast what this message was going to be about, but I will say you asked for it. They invited you because we believe that this is, we believe that God is good. We believe that God is good and this is a, a community of faith that's worth being a part of. Now the purpose of this message is not to mourn the condition of society or to unfairly criticize or disparage people or to argue with anybody who does not have a biblical view of sexuality and gender. Additionally, it's neither my intention or or desire to apologize for scripture. We unashamedly believe that the Bible is the supreme source of truth. It is the blueprint. Yeah. It is the blueprint for life, and therefore it is the final authority. So it's my primary goal today, it's my earnest desire to offer hope and clarity in a very confusing season in our world. Two things that I want you to remember as we go through this, and even when you leave this place, uncompromising truth and unconditional love. Say that with me uncompromising truth and unconditional love. Now, some of you may be wondering, why are we talking about this at church? Well, why not at church? 
If not church, then topics like this are left to locker rooms, social media, sleepovers, TV shows, and unfortunately, quiet parents. And if we don't have these conversations, then what happens is that we perpetuate the unimaginable, which means the gaps get filled in different places and, and it gets misconstrued about what God really wants. And because this is our faith, it is our responsibility, even when uncomfortable, to clarify truth for cultural topics. We will get uncomfortable but this is going to be PG. Again, I understand that this is a painful topic for some. I've, I've talked to parents that are going through this with their children. If you're wondering why, why are we talking about this here and why are we talking about it now, especially when it only affects less than 1% of our society. While that is true, the percent that it affects the most is our young people. It's extreme between the ages of 13 and 19, and, and they're even being uh, uh, induced with this ideology as young as three and four years old. And so while it only affects 1% of our society, it affects 100% of us. It's a part of the ideology that we see every day, but we want to offer clarity and hope with uncompromising truth and unconditional love. And let me say this right off the back. If you are going through some kind of gender identity struggle, and I want to I wanna put all of this right now into the same pot. Whether that gender identity struggle is sexual or psychological, meaning some of us struggle with our Enneagrams. We struggle with our astrological sign. Oh yeah, you're going to act like it's not you. Yeah, it's you. It's you too. I'm a Libra. That's why I act like this. No, you crazy. That's why you act like that. <laughs> so while we will be specifically covering gender identity and sexuality, we're covering all of the identity issues that we carry. Amen? Amen. I have this illustration that they're going to put on the screen here in a moment. Clearly in the first circle, this is God's perfect plan. And this is designed so that we can see that there is a perfect plan for our life. This is where we find identity, where we find purpose, where we find peace and restoration. Everything in this circle is Christ honoring and God glorifying. Anything outside of this leads to sin and ultimately brokenness. And you can see from the circle of brokenness, there's all these different shoots of brokenness. And that is all kinds of different design. If it's not what God designed, and if it's not a part of God's perfect plan, it is brokenness. It's brokenness when our society can perpetuate things in our target, like there is a bathing suit, a female bathing suit made for men with a tuckable feature. It's brokenness when Adidas does a program and they do an advertisement of a man in a woman's bathing suit with bulge and all. This is a part, it's brokenness when we live in a world where children's books and children's shows have to be supervised because they are promoting a sexual agenda. 
One example comes from a picture book written for a four-year-old child called Gender Fairy. It's featuring two transgender children. And here's one line in the book. Only you know whether you are a boy or a girl and no one can tell you. The author explains, some children will realize their true identity is not the gender they were assigned at birth and will choose to make a social transition to live as their true gender. Other book titles are called Bye Bye Binary and I'm Not a Girl or Jacob's New Dress and Gender Swapped Fairy Tales. In your app, you'll notice there are some other quotes and some definitions that we won't go through uh, today, but I want you to look at that and spend some time with it. Now, before we jump into the scriptures, we understand that there is a struggle. Say struggle. The Bible says how we should respond to this struggle. But I want us to be clear that the topic of gender and sexuality is found all throughout the scriptures. And while we're only going to address a handful of these scriptures today, if we reduce the Bible's teaching of sex and gender to only these few scriptures, then we miss the full scope of God's design and purpose for us. So here's what I encourage you to do. I encourage you not to just read these scriptures, but to read the chapters, read the books, read the stories, because it's only then that we'll have a full grasp of God's word and his design. It is only then that we will actually know the truth. The only way that we can understand the difference between truth and what's counterfeit is if we spend time with truth. When I was 19 years old, I worked at a bank for about three months. And one of the responsibilities they had at the bank is that we had to be able to tell the difference between real money and counterfeit money. We spent three hours with counterfeit money. We spent eight weeks with real money. Because the idea is, if you spend more time with what's real, when what's fake shows up, you ain't got to spend no time at all. So what does the Bible say? Genesis 1, right from the beginning. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. We see this mirrored, Genesis 1 through 26, we see this mirrored again, Genesis 2 through 25 and 26. We see that Jesus even, even refers to the beginning in Matthew 19. This is all throughout scripture that sexuality and gender is God's idea. He said, let us make man and woman in our image, in our likeness. This means that you are an image bearer of God. The Greek term of it is you are the imago Dei. You are the image of God. That means from the moment that you were created, you bear the glory, the dignity, the purpose, and the diversity of God. 
Genesis gets straight to the point. In the beginning, God made humanity in his image and he did something amazing. He created male and female with their own distinct characteristics. You see, God intentionally designed us as male and female to display his image in different but equally valuable ways. And God didn't make a mistake because God don't make mistakes. For the little girl that looks in the mirror and she can't identify, God didn't make a mistake on your body. For the boy that's still trying to figure it out, God did not make a mistake because God doesn't make mistakes. He made you as you are. Your, your gender and your sex are not accidents. They are not feelings, they are divine design. God made it that way. Psalms 139 says this, for you are created, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's room. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together. You spent time. You intricately designed me. In Jeremiah 1 and 5, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I already had the idea of what you would look like in my mind. I already knew that your hair was going to be curly and you was going to have freckles on your face. I already knew that you was going to have that one little pinky toe that never really straightened out. I, I designed this before I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you and I made you distinctively different. But I also know that sometimes we struggle with who we are and we're trying to find ourselves. But I want to save you the trouble of finding yourself and tell you God already found you. He found you already. He found you. He made you. He designed you. But again, I understand that people struggle with identity. We, we may not feel like we're in the right body or that we don't fit society's expectation. And it's okay to wrestle with these feelings. God knows your heart. He knows what's going on. But see, embracing your true self means embracing the gender and sex that God assigned you. It does not mean conforming to stereotypes or cultural expectations. A girl that likes climbing trees is not a boy, she's just a girl that likes climbing trees. A boy that happens to like art or singing or Broadway plays, it doesn't make him a girl. It makes him a boy that likes singing and acting and art and Broadway plays. <laughs> Embracing who you are means recognizing the unique way you reflect the image of God as a man or as a woman. It means celebrating the qualities, the talents, the abilities that make you who you are because they are all a part of God's intentional design. We are, in Genesis, it not only tells us that we, we were made, it tells us why we were made. It gives us the design and the purpose. You were made for him. Not only will you produce more and fill the earth, he says, I'm making you for me. In Colossians 1 and 16, it says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have be been created through him and for him. Say it out loud. All things have been created through him and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We are made for his glory and not our preference. 
We're made for his glory and not our own. Men are made the way men are made and women are made the way women are made because it maximizes the glory that we bring to our creator. I'm going to use two, two words, two big words. You don't have to write them down, but egalitarian and complementarian. These are two theo, theolo, the, theology words. Egalitarian and complementarian. We are made for both. It means that we are equally valuable in God's eyes. That's egalitarian. Complementarian means we are beneficially compatible in God's eyes. So he made us equally valuable but different. I am the way I am, not by accident, but on purpose. God made me like this, even if I don't feel like God made me. I am still what God made me. God has a purpose for you, and part of that purpose is revealed through your God-given gender. Miles Monroe says this. He says, it is inevitable for you to misuse a thing if you don't know its purpose. It's inevitable for you to misuse a thing if you don't know its purpose. I have an iPhone. Anybody have an iPhone? I have an iPhone. I love my iPhone. It does a whole lot of stuff. But if I use my iPhone as a doorstop, and I can use it as a doorstop, and it'll work. It'll work. But I'm not utilizing its purpose. If Steve Jobs came back to life and saw that I was using my iPhone as a doorstop, he would die again. I think where we miss out is, is we don't go back to the instructions. If you want to know how to understand the design, you have to go to the designer. If you're struggling with who you are and what you're called to do, go to God. He made you. Don't come to me. I didn't make you. He made you. Stop going to your mama. She don't know either. <laughs> Go to the designer because he made you. Your body is God's masterpiece. It's God's masterpiece. And here's the thing. His love crafted every intricate detail of your existence from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, which means your body is not a throwaway. Your body is not a mix and match. Your body is not a Mr. Potato Head. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, which means that God values your body. God honors your body so much that Jesus entered the world through a body. God put on human flesh, walked the earth in a body, and then he felt what you felt, was tempted by what you were tempted by. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, for we, not, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. What a comforting thought to know that Jesus empathizes with every temptation, every struggle you face in life. He identifies and sympathizes. Jesus has been where you are. 
He has felt what you feel. He has overcome the temptations that you and we are now trying to overcome. And because of his experience, he understands the emotions, the frustrations, and the temptations we face in life. He cares about your body so much that the body that he was in was beaten and bruised for you. That body hung on the cross. That body died. That body rose up again. He cares about your body so much that when he ascended into heaven, he said, I want the Holy Spirit to reside in that body. That's how much he cares about your body. But understand this, when God's design is deconstructed, it denies that you are God's masterpiece and it embraces the lies that your value comes from your appearance, your preference, or your sexuality. Your value does not come from your appearance, your preference, or your sexuality. Your value comes from the fact that you were made in the image of God. That's where the value is. And when we do anything other than what God said for us to do, we, be, we idolize our own existence. So how do we respond to this as believers? Or do we respond to this as a church? Because I believe for far too often as a church, we've been on one end of the spectrum or the other. And we're seeing it more and more uh, in our modern day news. We've been on the end of where we are really empathetic and we love so much that we don't want to offend anybody that we are affirming. And so we're soft. Or we've been on the side where that we are so angry that we're arrogant and we're yelling and screaming at people or we say nothing. There's a problem on both sides. And I have to tell you this, for, for the last maybe 45 days or so, I've, I've researched, read over 100 hours of content, watched videos and documentaries, and I've watched people who have transitioned and detransitioned, and I've watched what the church has done over the past 50 to 60 years, and I gotta tell you, I've been living for the last few weeks in between anger and empathy. I've been angry. I've been angry. I've been angry that we've allowed certain ideals to seep into the church. I've been angry. But I've been empathetic for people who are going through this. And it's not, it hurts. And I've heard the stories and I've watched the interviews, but it does us no good to live on either spectrum. But we need both. In Mark 1, and I believe it's the 41st verse, it says Jesus, Jesus was, saw some lepers. And in the NIV, it says Jesus was compassionate. Before they changed the NIV in the 1970s, the, what the word they used was Jesus was indignant. 
these words are not in competition of each other. I've had somebody say, well, is it different? It was he was indignant. Was he indignant or was he compassionate? And my answer is yes. When Jesus was compassionate, it says he was a compassionate and he moved. Meaning Jesus had a problem with what he saw. And instead of just standing there and talking about how bad it was, he did something. He says, let me get involved. Let me reach out my hand. Let me see what's going on. And far too often as a people, we sit and we talk about how bad it is, but then we don't do nothing. We just complain. We just watch the news and the media and see how bad this is. Yeah, we all see how bad it is. What are you going to do? Are you just going to sit in your ivory tower? Are you just going to sit comfortably in your seat with your sweet tea and not pray or not call anybody or not teach your kids? Or you're going to also have, are you going to be indignant like Jesus and say, yeah, I see it's a problem. See, Jesus, it's not enough that we're just angry. Ooh, this ain't even in my notes. It's not enough that we're just angry. Even Jesus got angry. The Bible says that at one point, Jesus shows up at church and church don't look like church. So Jesus turns the tables over. One passage says that Jesus went outside and braided a belt. Can you imagine Jesus sitting on the stone saying, oh, I'm gonna show them. Oh, I can't. Oh, oh. Ooh, not in my father's house. Jesus braids a belt. Not only does he turn tables over, but he then also whoops the people. That's anger. But that same Jesus that got angry is the same Jesus that said, hey, let me remind you, my father's house is a house of prayer. This is the kind of people that we must be. Not just angry, but also compassionate. Not either or, but both and. So what do we do as a church? First, we have to speak truth. Say, speak truth. truth. Understand that culture doesn't determine truth. God does. We heard this a couple weeks ago, Pastor Craig. Truth is not your opinion. Truth is not your your feelings. Truth, Truth is not church doctrine. Truth is what God says. And we need truth. It is up to us to carry the truth. My daughter reminded me today that in 1 Corinthians 4 and 1, it says that Paul writes, it says, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. It is our responsibility to carry the truth. But we live, we need truth because we live in a world that wants to write the Bible in pencil and then erase it when it doesn't fit their need. So we need people who are speaking the truth, sound doctrine. We need the truth because Satan is coming at you with lies. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And our greatest weapon is the truth of God's word. Truth exposes the lie of the enemy. And one of the most insidious tactics of the devil is to try to convince you you are not who God says you are and you don't have what God says you have. So we need the truth. We have to remember that only in truth is found hope, peace, and freedom. Jesus, in John 8, 31, it says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Your opinions will keep you caged, but the truth will set you free. 
And we cannot be so intimidated by a lie that we are nervous to tell the truth at, a, at the risk of offending someone or being canceled. I don't care about being canceled. Not by y'all. I, I fear God more than I fear you. I fear being canceled by him more than I fear being canceled by people. You can cancel me if you want to. You can cancel me, but you cannot cancel the word of God. So we need people that are willing to tell the truth. Dr. Paul McHugh, a psychiatrist at John Hopkins says treatment, and he's talking about uh, a transgender identity, he says this, treatment should not be directed at the body as with surgery and hormones any more than one treats an obesity-fearing anorexic patient with liposuction. He says if a girl comes to see a doctor and she says, I'm fat, and the doctor looks at her and says, but you only weigh 60 pounds, he doesn't say, well, let's put you on some fat-shredding medication. No, he says, we need to address the false problematic nature of the assumption that you made. We need to tell you the truth. We cannot be afraid to speak the truth because the truth is the language of the Lord. But in order for us to speak it, we also have to know it. Truth is not what you think somebody said. At one time I heard, that's not truth. My mama used to tell me, mm -mm, no, truth is what the Bible says. We must be biblically literate so that we can contextualize scripture in a contemporary world. We have to know what the word of God is so we can filter all of our decisions through what he says. Not only should we speak truth. Ooh, let me say this. Parents, speak truth to your kids. Ooh. Speak truth in your home. Romans 10 and 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. You believe what you hear. And if your children don't hear truth, they don't stand a chance. They spend eight hours at school listening to somebody else and they come home and we don't talk as parents because we tired. And we leave all biblical truth up to church an hour a week. Parents, speak truth. But not only speak truth, speak truth in love. Say love. You must be willing also to not let culture define what love is. Love is God's and God set the parameters of what love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love does not rejoice in falsehood or wrongdoing. So that means that love is not gender-affirming care. Love is telling you the truth even when you don't like it. Love is telling you the truth if, even if it means it separates us. If you love someone and they're standing in the middle of the street and you saw a car that was going to come and hit them, would you say, hey, could you move? Hey, you should probably get out of the way. No, because you love them, you'll say, hey! I, hey, move! And if you'd had time, you'd go and grab them. But while you grab them, you might hurt them. But you know what you're thinking? So, I saved your life. 
that's what love looks like. Love sometimes is aggressive. It is that love that went to a cross that got beaten and bruised and got stabbed in the side. That's love. Speak truth. Speak truth in love. Speak truth with grace. Colossians 4 and 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Truth without grace is brutality, but grace without truth is cruelty. John 1 and 14, it says, Jesus came and he was full of truth. John 1 and 17, Moses gave the law, but Jesus came full of grace and truth. One of the best examples of grace and truth happens when Jesus is met in John 8 and Jesus is met with the woman who had been caught in adultery. And they threw her in front of Jesus. First of all, where's the man? Different sermon. <laughs> but they threw him in front of Jesus. And in the Bible, it says that Jesus knelt down on the ground and he started writing in the dirt. And they asked Jesus, they said, you know the law that we get to stone her. Jesus says, you without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, they went away. And then Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers? She says, there are none. And then Jesus says, neither do I accuse you. But then he says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Grace got dirty. Truth told the truth. This was grace and truth. I'm willing to get down where you are. I'm willing to get dirty right with you. But I also got to tell you like it is. You can't keep living like this. So go and sin no more. What do we tell them? We tell them that Jesus is the answer. Speak truth. Speak truth with love. Speak truth with grace. And when you do, tell them Jesus is the answer. God is the only pathway to wholeness. He is the hope. When Jesus enters the story, old is new and you become a brand new creation. What you're feeling in your body can actually be recorrected by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you are allowing him to walk freely in you. God has a will and a purpose for your life and he wants to change you from the inside out. You might say, hey, I was born this way. And you probably were. Not here to debate whether you were born that way or not or you became that way, but isn't, it's not a coincidence that in John 3 and 3 that Jesus says, if you want to make it to the kingdom, you got to get born again. It doesn't matter what you were. You come to me to get born again. The Bible gives the pathway to wholeness that's different than the world's. The world says, if, in order for me to be whole, I have to change my body. Romans 12 says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies 
as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, only then, will you be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good, pleasing, and perfect will. The world says, it's my body, and God says, present your body. The world says, I can think what I want to think, and God says, I need you to transform your mind. A racer swimmer by the name of Leah Thomas is a man who transitioned into a female. After he won a race, he said, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. Let me say this. There's something so much better than happiness, and it's wholeness. If you're struggling with this issue in any way, if you know somebody directly or indirectly, if you're seeking happiness, God wants to find you joy. And happiness does not come from changing your body. It comes from presenting your body to Christ. Happiness doesn't come from changing your feelings. It comes from transforming your thoughts and aligning your thoughts with the will of Christ for your life. Let me say this. If you are struggling, God loves you. And we love you too. We love you. And I want to personally apologize if we have not shown our love well. The answer to brokenness, to sexual sin, gender identity issues is not anger, it's not alienation, it's not affirmation, it's not avoidance, it's assurance. It's the assurance that everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome at Grace Family Church. Everybody, everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome at Grace Family Church. We are not a church that says, get your life together and then come. Because we recognize that we are all a bunch of messed up people. All the messed up people say, yeah, that's me. That's me. And the people who didn't raise their hand, you messed up too. But we say we are a relational church, which means we are willing to walk with you. We're willing to hold you up when you stumble and fall. We want to cry with you. We want to rejoice with you. We want to overcome with you because it is our desire that everyone that walks into our doors or watches us online become a fully focused, forward-thinking follower of Christ. That's our desire. I know this was a little bit longer than usual, but my goal was to offer uncompromising truth and unconditional love. Yes. That's good. If you feel lost in an identity crisis, remember that Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He sees your true identity, not a collection of, of labels or expectations. He sees you as he created you. Yeah. And in a moment here, campus pastors are going to come up. But 
for anyone that's dealing with any kind of identity issues. Just take a moment. I want you to close your eyes. Everybody close their eyes. And if that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up and say, that's me. And even if, yes, even if you're going, I want to pray for somebody else. I want to tell you that God can do anything. He can transform you into what he's called you to be, even if you've already transitioned. God can transform you back. So say this with me all together. Jesus, I believe that you are who you said that you are. I believe that I am who you said I am. I'm not perfect, but I believe you can change me and save me. Today, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. We are all trying to figure this thing out, amen? I, I love this song. We started it earlier. We're just going to sing just a little bit of this. I love this part. It says, I've come a long way, and I've seen how you work. There's so much goodness and grace much more than I deserve cause I know who I am and I can't stay where I'm at but we've come this far by faith and I just can't turn back listen we're all a work in progress but guess what? He's not done with me yet. He's not done with me yet. There's so much more to the story. You're not done with me yet. You're not done with me Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.